Hello, welcome to episode 17 of the Courtside Podcast, an NBA podcast. This episode is brought to you by YouTube channels Highway Temptation and Captain Barbo, who make content weekly on YouTube. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Hello, everybody, to another episode of the Courtside Podcast, and welcome back. We were on a little bit of a hiatus there. We were supposed to do an episode Monday and Friday as usual. However, we missed both of those episodes because a little life news right now. I moved, and unfortunately, while moving, I forgot my laptop's charger, so it was kind of, uh, you know, just adapting to the new world of just using my phone for Google Docs for work assignments, but now I am back with the laptop and back with episodes, and we'll be keep on giving you Monday and Friday content nonstop. However, we missed a lot, unfortunately, due to missing two episodes. We missed, so far, the beginning of the Eastern Conference and Western Conference Finals, and as well... The NBA lottery, which we'll be going into at the end of this episode. But first, we have to start off with what we missed out over there in the Eastern and Western Conference. First, starting off with the Eastern Conference Finals between the Miami Heat and the Boston Celtics. Now, these two teams were going back and forth in the standings late in the regular season. Miami ended up winning their last competition against the Boston Celtics in Boston, which ended up being kind of the deciding factor of who was going to get that, you know, home court advantage throughout the entire playoffs. And then again... Boston, who was a team that was playing against Memphis for the last game, decided not to bench any of their guys to blow them out and said, in Jalen Brown's own words, I like us versus anybody. And the Boston Celtics, so far, so good. They go against Brooklyn, they sweep them, and probably what everyone was expecting, a marquee matchup. I was expecting a huge series out of that one with Kevin Durant. However, the Celtics locked them up. And then you go into Milwaukee, and that one was absolutely popcorn-worthy entertainment. I mean, you cannot get your face away from the screen enough that went to seven games where Boston blows them out in Game 7 at TD Garden. And then now we go into this series in the Eastern Conference Finals where the Miami Heat finished the Hawks in five games, pretty simple, going against Philadelphia, Joel Embiid missing the first two games in Miami, then coming back for the games in Philadelphia, the Wells Fargo Center, and Philadelphia wins those two. However, those will be the only two that will even finish off as the Miami Heat beat them in six games. And the sixth game itself was kind of a disappointing loss for the 76ers, who have a lot of questions now going into the offseason. However, that'll be for another episode. We have to talk about right now game one, which was actually this Tuesday this week, between the Miami Heat and the Boston Celtics at FTX Arena in Miami, Florida. The Miami Heat only needed one quarter to finish off this Boston Celtic team, as it was a real bitter game to start off with for a lot of guys on that Heat roster. I mean, you saw, you know, Bam and Abayo not being that much accurate. Still effective defensively. Tyler Hero coming off of the bench, of course, pushing the pressure during that second quarter and going into the third as well, which we'll be talking about. That huge historical third quarter where the Miami Heat dropped 39 points over the Boston Celtics, and the Celtics can't even buy a basket. They only got 14 points in that third quarter, majority of them coming off of the free throw line. And, of course, Jimmy Butler... 41 points in this one, 9 rebounds, and 5 assists. However, the most interesting part of it was his defense transitioning to quick offense. 4 steals and 3 blocks. He shoots about 63.2% from the field there. Jimmy Butler obviously having probably the best playoff experience he's ever had in his entire career, ever since the bubble probably. And has to be one of the top 3, if not the most impressive player out of these playoffs besides John Morant. So Miami does take that one 118 to 107 after the Boston Celtics absolutely slumped themselves over in that third quarter. They ended up winning the first, second, and fourth quarter overall in shooting, but 
unfortunately, that third quarter was all it took. And, of course, I mean, you have no Marcus Smart in this game, no Al Horford in this game. And as funny as it is, you know, Marcus Smart obviously was going to be out for this game, most likely with a sprained foot on his right foot due to that fall he had against the Milwaukee Bucks over Giannis. However, health and safety protocols for Al Horford was announced about two hours prior of tip-off. And I was out there shooting around with the Boston Celtics on the Heat's court. So a lot of people say, how does it make sense? Sometimes it just doesn't. I don't even know how you get a COVID test and you get put positive. However, everyone else around you gets negative. But in reality, I mean, as we've seen in the past two years through this entire pandemic, a lot of things don't really make sense, but they don't have to make sense. You just have to know you have to be safe and take, you know, prior precautions, of course. So Al Horford and Marcus Smart were not there for this game. However, game two, which was on Thursday, and I was there on Thursday as well. I made the trip all the way down to Miami because I have to see this game with a full roster Celtics. And just curious how that would match up against this Miami Heat team, who was only missing Kyle Lowry in this game as well. He's been missed ever since midway through that 76ers. And they even say he was questionable for game three. However, game two, all Celtics. All Celtics. In the beginning of the game, within, I believe, the first three to five minutes of the first quarter, the Miami Heat were leading almost by 10 points, 18 to 8, over the Boston Celtics. And then Ime calls a timeout for the head coach of the Celtics, and he regroups his guys. And whatever he said in that timeout definitely worked. The Boston Celtics ended up blowing out the Miami Heat at halftime by almost 30 points in this one. And then they ended up finishing off this game with a final score of 127 to 102. And now in this game, this was more or less just the Boston Celtics full roster finally coming back and the defense finally showing up in the second half of the game. Now, the Boston Celtics defensive player of the year, Marcus Smart, back in this game actually battling his injury. But as he said in press conferences prior that, hey, you know, no matter what happens, I got to be there for game two. And he was there for game two as well. He had about 40 minutes in this one, so no restrictions on minutes from his injury. Put down 24 points, 9 rebounds, and 12 assists. Now, that assist total is actually his career playoff high with 12 assists there and only one rebound away from a triple-double. However, the most interesting factor about all of this is that he was a little bit inaccurate from the field, had about 36.4% overall from field goal. However, from three, from three, 41.7% from three. And he wasn't the only one that had a pretty good number out there. Grant Williams from three went two and two, 100% off the bench. Jason Tatum, four and six, 67.7% from three. Al Horford, 100% off of two shots. And Jalen Brown, 4-7, 57.1% from the three. And actually, the biggest thing about Jalen Brown in this game was that he actually made his free throws. Jalen Brown was almost 50% in the game one from the free throw charity arc. And now he's 100% from free throw. And this entire Boston Celtics big three of Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, and Tatum, they combined for about 75 points in this one. 24 for Smart. 24 for Brown, and 27 for Jason Tatum. Al Horford comes back in this one. He only puts up 10 points in this. However, still 100% from the field after four and four shots. He gets you about three rebounds there, but the defense he brought in from the off ball and as well as switching on the screens, that was something that was definitely missed from game one that the Miami Heat took advantage of as Max Struess went crazy in that game one shooting for a majority of 50%. And then Max Drews in this game too, only was six points and was two and seven over from the field. And crazy enough, two and seven from three. So all of his shots came out from the three-point mark. 
right there on the right wings off of screens. And they were playing great defense in Boston. And they were able to take a game away from the Miami Heat in FTX. Jimmy Butler in this one, if you are curious about it, 29 points, 61.1% from field goal. He was accurate. He was fine. He still is that aggressive ball player that wants to take you inside with a good jump shot right off the bounce. But Jimmy Butler, as I said before, phenomenal year so far in the postseason. Probably the best we've ever seen. He has about four to five games where he has 40 points in the playoffs alone. He haven't had a single 40-point game in the regular season. However, as Jimmy Butler is stepping up for the Miami Heat throughout this entire postseason, Bam and Obio hasn't done much. Yeah, sure, Bam is accurate, about 75% here in shooting, 100%. But he's on the court for about 30 minutes a game. And he's only giving you about 6, 10 points, 12 points. And yes, I know he does a lot defensively, and he does give you those rebounds and those second chance. But you got to do more if you're Bam and Obio. I was talking about it last year, especially when they got swept by the Milwaukee Bucks. Bam and Obio has to improve his one-on-one game right there in the block. All right. He has to be able to post up against anybody and take advantage of everybody. He has that versatile style type of like defending off anybody can guard up against anybody. You know, he can definitely move his feet. I think he can even dribble a little bit lower than most big men can in the Miami Heat's roster, obviously. But I mean, Bam has to do something. If I'm Bam in a bio and I want to help the Miami Heat take a game in Boston, I need to drop at least 20 points. Guarantee at least 20 points. And I got to take advantage of Daniel Tice and Robert Williams, who are not post-defender players. And I have to be able to say, hey, you know, I'm going to make sure these guys play man-on-man because I need to take advantage of that. So Bam and Abayo, who has been great defensively, obviously needs a pickup offensively. Tyler Hero has probably been the best player coming off of the bench for this Miami Heat squad. Had 18 points in their first game. And then in the second game, 11 points in this one. And he shot still accurate. 45 and a half from field goal. However, 0 and 3 from three, just chucking it up. And this is again from the Miami Heat having to deal with the Boston Celtics defense coming off of the screens and the switches. So Tyler Hero has to adapt his game. Bam Adebayo has to adapt his game to this new Boston Celtics team with a healthy roster now. And then of course Gabe Vincent, who has been phenomenal throughout this entire postseason, especially during the 76ers series, he puts up 14 in this game too. And believe it or not, 14, Gabe Vincent, Victor Oladipo, same numbers, the second most in scoring for any of the Miami Heat team behind Jimmy Butler. Everybody else, single digits besides Tyler here with 11 points. Bano Bile, 6 points. Max Struess, 6 points. P.J. Tucker, who might be having a knee contusion but still questionable for that game three, so we're hoping he's okay. But 5 points in that one. Caleb Martin, 7 points. Duncan Robinson, who actually got a pretty good amount of minutes off the bench, however, didn't make the most of it. 6 points in this one, and was 0-4 from 3. If you ask me personally, I know the Celtics defense is that of NBA championship caliber, but the Miami Heat were playing on a whole nother level throughout this entire postseason, especially during the first two series. And a lot of people can say, well, Joel B was hurt majority of the time with a fractured skull. Well, Trey Young didn't have a lot of help. Well, it doesn't matter. There is no excuses. The Miami Heat should be at least as the number one seed getting on top of this Boston Celtics squad to make at least an even matchup. However, we haven't really seen any close games at all during this entire Eastern Conference or Western Conference Finals. 
but this series will now go into Boston now for Game 3. Actually, today, later on at 8.30 p.m. on ESPN. And the Boston Celtics will try to protect the parquet for the next two games to try to make an extensive 3-1 series lead over the Miami Heat and go to the first-ever finals in about a decade. And, of course, Miami trying to repeat what they did in 2020 will have to try to battle it out in Boston. Now, getting that one aside, we go straight to the Western Conference. Luka Magic, I have to say, is a real thing. If you don't believe in Magic, believe in that. The Mavericks blew out the Phoenix Suns in Game 7, made Chris Paul look like some sort of like anomaly just for Patrick Beverly to even talk about against some negative feeling where, oh, you know, you know, no, no one fears the Suns. No one fears the Suns. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, on ESPN's first take in the morning, now they have Patrick Beverly kind of making these appearances with J.J. Redick and Stephen A. Smith. Beverly's been all over Chris Paul. He's been all over Chris Paul talking about, oh, me and Paul George were talking about, you know, no one's afraid of this Suns team or no one's afraid of Chris Paul or it's easy to guard Chris Paul. Like, if I'm going to be guarding Chris Paul, I'm going out to Miami Beach and taking a couple of shots out there in the war for I'm just going out on a town in Los Angeles. Like, don't do that. Chris Paul, obviously, multiple all-star appearances, went to the finals the other year. A leader, probably one of the best point guards there is in the current NBA, and let alone NBA history. So don't ever disrespect Chris Paul, let alone Patrick Beverly. I understand, you know, first team all defense in the NBA multiple times. But besides that, you're not going much further than that. I mean, the only thing you can even say in his postseason resume is that he went with the Clippers to a Western Conference Finals appearance. And that same appearance was when they lost in six games against Chris Paul. So, in reality, Beverly, you need to stop it. Chris Paul is that guy. However, he wasn't that guy versus Luka Magic, as Luka Doncic now advances with the Dallas Mavericks to face off the Golden State Warriors. And in the first game of the series, man, it was a blowout. The Dallas Mavericks kept on chucking up threes like crazy in the first two quarters. Andrew Wiggins was playing great defensively. Jordan Poole was doing Jordan Poole things, being accurate as he can, attacking the basket as well. Of course, Stephen Curry, he did get his minutes, and he definitely got his shots up. Ended up getting about 30, 44 in minutes and seconds in this one. 21 points, 12 rebounds out of Stephen Curry. A surprising one there, but that just tells you that there needs to be some sort of force in the paint when you're going up against this Golden State Warriors team as they ended up taking advantage of Dallas in the third quarter, outscoring them 34-24. to And then later on in the fourth quarter, 24-18, to with the Golden State outscoring Dallas both times in the second half and ending up winning this one 112-87. to And Luka, you know... 20 points in this one, not really the exact stat line that we expect from him, as crazy as that does sound coming out of a young career, Luka Doncic, but was 6-18 and 18 in this one, and he is the, well, one of three from that starting lineup that went 33.3% from the field, including Bullock and Finney Smith. So Dallas, not very accurate. They were getting their shots up. I mean, the only person that had probably a good day was probably Spencer Dinwiddie, who had ended up 17 points coming off the bench, shooting about 45.5% from field goal. But Dallas tried to respond, though. No doubt about that in Game 2. 
as the Dallas Mavericks started to blow out this Golden State team at home in the first half. I believe they're up by almost 17 points nearing the end of the second quarter. They ended up going crazy in the second quarter. They actually outscored the Golden State 40 to 33 in that one. And then in the first quarter, 32 to 25 outscoring Golden State the entire way through the first half. And then the third quarter, the Mavs were horrible. 13 points in that third quarter as Golden State kept it on, I mean, repeat again in the fourth quarter. Dallas ended up boosting up their offense for 32, but the defense could not stop anybody from that Warriors squad as they ended up going off with 43 points in that fourth quarter. So how Dallas started the game was the whole flip of the script at the end of the game as Dallas ended up winning off that first half in the first two quarters. Golden State obliterated the lead that Dallas had and ended up winning the second half of this game as they ended up winning it 126 to 117 and probably what it was the closest matchup so far in the Eastern Conference Finals. I mean, we're talking about, you know, four games already played and the closest one was Golden State making a huge comeback against Dallas. So it's been great TV, but at the same time, it's not like a back and forth or anything like that between these other two teams. But we look at the box scores right now for Dallas in this one. And Luka, 42 points. 42 points in this one. And this isn't let alone. He wasn't the only one that had big numbers. Brunson, the Villanova kid, 31 points. We are talking about two players who are going insane. Luka Doncic had about 52.2% from the field. Brunson, 57.9% from the field. And they weren't even the only ones doing better than 50% from overall shooting. I mean, Finney Smith, 50%, right? Bullock, 54.5%. He was 6-10 from 3. The Dallas Mavericks were probably the most accurate they've ever been in the playoffs so far. Unless you want to count in that game 7 against Phoenix. And they, you know, but still, this was an impressive Dallas Mavericks game. And the only thing that you can say was a downside is that the bench did not show up to save this team late. Spencer Dinwiddie, 2-6. and six. Bertons, 2-3, However, you got to put him with more minutes. If I'm Jason Kidd, Bertons is a hell of a shooter. He can help you off of the screen. He only had 7 minutes and 14 seconds in this game. I don't understand that. Neakila, 3 minutes and 32 minutes in this game. Why is that? One of the best defenders on that team. He actually went 0-3 overall from the field. So, yeah, he wasn't really accurate. Actually 0-2 from 3 alone. But still, one of the best defenders in this game. You see that game slip up. you got to switch around. All right? I get Luka has to be on the court for majority of the time. Brunson as well if he's hot. But come on. I mean, Finney Smith in this one. 50% was 3-6. and six, Right? As I said before, accurate. 50% from the field. About 1-4. Of those main starters that were accurate today. But you have to give him more shots. You have to keep moving the ball around. I mean, Luka Doncic was hot in the first half. And then, like, the second half comes in. And your offense is still being broken down on just two guys. Right? I mean, the Golden State Warriors are moving. You got to include more guys into this. I don't care if they're doing horrible from the field. You got to keep moving the ball around. So, honestly, a huge game from Luka and Brunson. However, it came to no result of a win as Golden State ended up going crazy in that second half. And with the Golden State Warriors side, Stephen Curry finishing with 21 points. Oh, my apologies, 32 points. Who actually finished with 21 points. 
was Looney. Looney, 21 points and 12 rebounds in this one. Kevin Looney, 71.4% from the field. And I know the majority of that's from the paint, but I have to say that is pretty damn impressive. And speaking of impressive, we look at the bench right now. Porter Jr., 100% from the field, was 4-4. Four four. Uh, Jordan Poole, 70% from the field. Had 23 points off the bench. And the coolest thing about it, a majority of it came from three throws. He was aggressive going into the paint. He knew exactly how to draw the foul as he ended up leading the team with seven free throws and knocking all of them down in this one. Klay Thompson was one and four from three. I mean, yeah, you know, you can complain about that. But at the same time, he finished it with 15 points going off a 60% from the field. So, yeah, he got his shots up. You know, he did his thing. Andrew Wiggins, five and 14, 16 points. And the crazy thing about it, he was the person for Golden State that was on the court for the majority of this game. Had about 38 minutes of gameplay in game two. I mean, I expect him to go for at least 25 in this game, to be honest with you. When you watch the film, it's like, man, I mean, he has a lot of shots up. He has a lot of minutes in the game. Just be aggressive. Just go in it. But Andrew Wiggins, I think, under Steve Kerr, has been building himself up defensively and has obviously been a first-year All-Star and has been a huge piece of why the Golden State Warriors are such a great team defensively. And I have to say, this is probably the best defensive team in this series. I think Luka Doncic and that huge size that the Dallas Mavericks have means a lot defensively if you're going to try to do a zone, even that be a 3-2 or 2-3. But Andrew Wiggins, Draymond Green, Clay Thompson, I mean, that starting three starters on that team, I would have to say, can make an argument at least once in their career that they could possibly even make all-team NBA first or second team. I mean, Draymond Green has already done it, right? Clay Thompson, I'm pretty sure he's on his way. If he hasn't done it already, I have to double-check on the stats on that. But Andrew Wiggins, I love his development in Golden State. I think Steve Kerr was exactly what he needed for his career. But now this series goes to Dallas with Warriors leading 2-zip. And from the looks of these games, I mean, Luka has a phenomenal game. Bruns has a phenomenal game. Game 1 was like they were keeping up with the pace and then they got blown out of the water in the second half. This looks like... The Warriors team we saw a couple of years ago, like a 2015 Warriors team where, you know, it's a close one all the way. But then the third quarter comes and it's like the game's over by the third quarter. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Stephen Curry goes off. I mean, Wiggins is doing great defensively. Jordan Poole, you give me minutes off the bench. And this is like that Warriors team for 2015. But despite the veteran presence, it's a bunch of young guys who are effective. So if you ask me, I'm not saying Dallas doesn't have a chance this series, but I would not be surprised if the Warriors finish this in five games. If Dallas Dallas needs to win both of those games in Dallas. They cannot lose a single game in Dallas. They need both of those games to survive in this series. Because if it goes back to Golden State, they're not winning in Golden State. Plain and simple. Doesn't matter how many shots they take, how many threes they take. If Luka and Brunson are actually give you 60 or more from between just two players and you're still not able to win it, I mean... They need the entire Spencer Dinwiddie, Kleber, Bertans. They need everyone. Finney Smith. They need everyone going off 50% or more overall in shooting. Either that be from twos or threes. They need to do something. They need to do something. But I really do believe this Warriors team has what it takes to finish it in five. And now that we go through the summary of, you know, what we missed over the week, which I do apologize again. I had a little bit of a technical issue missing my charger for the move. Let's finish this off 
with the draft lottery. Now, the draft lottery was actually Tuesday, right before the Eastern Conference Finals game one between the Heat and the Celtics, as you usually do. And I got to say, if you're an Oklahoma City Thunder fan, I mean, those draft picks, they're going to be coming in the next few years. They have about, I believe, 17 draft picks in the next few years that are going to be either in the first round. And honestly, I mean, especially starting with this draft, a lot of the competition now coming out of college is very similar, or you can even have a top 10 pick and still have a first pick type of talent, right? I mean, we look at so far, you know, Jabari Smith out of Auburn, Chet out of Gonzaga, a couple other guys, Ivy out of Purdue. I mean, even this Italian guy out of Duke, which I can never say his name right. However, at the same time, I should be able to because he is really seen as a number one pick in this draft class. Already NBA ready, can move with the ball, has a good size to him. But let me tell you, though, the draft lottery, a lot of these teams needed someone. And they're going to get someone. And this goes straight down to the draft lottery. Starting from the 14th pick to the first pick. 14th pick will be made by the Cleveland Cavaliers, followed by the Hornets, right? Playing team, still there. And they can honestly pick up a really great piece in this draft to probably help out that front court. And as well as for Cleveland as well. A lot of draft success recently. And honestly, they're going to keep on getting at it. So Cleveland 14, Hornets with the 13th, OKC with the 12th pick in this draft class is actually the second pick that they're going to be making in the top 14 as they also get the second pick the new york knicks never would luck hasn't have a single first round first selection pick since patrick ewing so it's been a long time however nick fans are hopeful with 11th pick wizards 10th pick spurs 9th pelicans 8th which means that they're going to be adding a top 10 prospect coming into this draft to add on to that Pelicans team who went through the play-in and made a playoff appearance and won two games in the playoffs against the number one team, 6-7 win Phoenix Suns. With Herbert Jones and Alvarado, I mean, whatever David Griffin's doing over there in New Orleans in the Bayou, it's working. So he's going to keep on adding on with that eighth pick from the New Orleans Pelicans. Portland Trailblazers get the seventh pick, which will still be interesting to see how that plays in with Damian Lillard and as well as the potential rebuild of Portland let alone if Portland's even going to keep this draft pick or use it for trade capital to see if they can get an extra all-star to be with Portland for Damian Lillard to try to push for the playoffs next year. So we'll be looking out for that seventh pick for Portland, sixth pick for Indiana, Detroit with the fifth pick in this one, which is another top five for Detroit in this draft. That is going to be a huge piece to include with Cade Cunningham and as well as that young roster they have in Detroit. Sacramento with the fourth pick. Sabonis was out there with a little bit of luck on his side as the Kings would try to add on more young pieces. Hopefully they can keep him this time. Uh, Rockets with the third pick in this one to see who's going to be joining out with Jalen Green. And then, of course, as I said before, Oklahoma City Thunder, the second pick out of the top 14, will be the number two pick in this draft for OKC. And then the number one pick for the NBA draft this year, the Orlando Magic. The Orlando Magic, who in the past two first picks have chosen all-star Hall of Fame caliber centers in, of course, Shaquille O'Neal during the 90s and then Dwight Howard during the early 2000s. And honestly, I can really see them picking out another big guy 
there's a lot of guys with great size. I said before, Jabari Smith coming out of Auburn, 6'10", great frame, you know, can definitely handle the ball well and can definitely be a forward on that team for the Orlando Magic, who is missing uh, Jonathan Isaac, who's been out for a couple of injuries here and there. So he can definitely build in onto that roster and actually contribute really well. And of course, as I said before, Chet from Gonzaga, he has a skinny frame, looked kind of weird over there in Gonzaga during the March Madness, but don't let that fool you. If anything, he has probably the most potential and the biggest ceiling out of any of these prospects coming into this draft. But as I said before, it'll be a good draft class, going to be real deep. And honestly, it's hard to say if there's going to be a specific guy who really makes a big you know, jump into the NBA from year one. I mean, I remember Chet was talking about, like, you know, I think a reporter asked him, oh, who is, you know, who, I mean, who do you think is the best NBA player that you can mimic on or the best player in the NBA right now that you would love to? Chet says immediately said, in two months, myself. In two months, myself. Chet has that mentality from Gonzaga that, hey, I played in Gonzaga, one of the best programs in basketball for college. And then now I'm going to go to the NBA as a top pick, as a number one guy, potentially. There's no one that can match his game, especially his size and how the NBA is going to start developing guys. I mean, I'm not saying he's going to be a Giannis Antetokounmpo, but in the sense of strength, he's going to be skinny and he's going to be buff and burly real quick. Guarantee. But of course, we'll be talking more about that on Monday's episode coming up for the Courtside Podcast, as I'll be probably breaking down who I think could possibly be a top 10 potential for at least a projection for the draft coming up and then of course what we missed over the weekend because of course today game three Boston Celtics Miami Heat then we have the Mavericks going against the Golden State Warriors soon for their game three in Dallas so hope to see you guys Monday and hope you enjoy the podcast